Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you, and boy, do we have a show for you today. I could not have been more wrong yesterday about the Pacers and working a deal. The Pacers officially confirming last night, but Pascal Siakam, former Toronto Raptor, now an Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are making a push in the East. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, Fletcher Lawyer's numbers in Big Ten play some of these numbers are going to blow you away. What Purdue has done this season, again, I keep harping on it, and I'm either going to be correct or fall flat on my face. This is not last year's Boilers team. Plus, some of your favorite teams could be coming to streaming. Whether that's a negative or a positive depends on your outlook of streaming, but a big change in the streaming world that could impact teams, including the Indiana Pacers. Plus, in hour number two, Pacers still have one major move to make. Colts ownership. Ursay has it all for now. What's uh, where do things stand? What what should happen long term with the Colts and the Portland Trailblazers? DeAndre Ayton missed work. We've all had weird reasons for missing work, right? Well, he had an interesting one um, last night, and we have not one but two stories at the end of the show. I want to get to since I'm off tomorrow and Monday. Uh, the world's oldest dog title. Remember that story that we brought you a few months back? Potentially a sham, isn't it? Yeah, under review. And a passenger was trapped in an area on an airplane for an entire flight. Hmm. So we'll have both of those at the end of the show. All right, a lot to get to. How are we? Oh, we do. <laughs> we we do. You you sound like you're uh, you're doing. See, I slept great, so I'm like I have all this fake energy right now. I'm <laughs> Plus, you're about ready to escape to this uh, yes this weather and go down to Florida for it's, a couple days. That is correct. So so that would naturally energize anybody. But no, things are good, and of course it's warming up, but also means we're supposed to get some snow in the next couple days. Enjoy. I, yeah, I won't and be participating. And you're like, sounds great. I won't be here. <laughs> have fun with that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, we we always kind of put together this trip at this time of year, and it's always at the perfect time of year. We just had a miserable week of weather, and now we can escape. Unfortunately, in Florida, I think the nicest day is going to be tomorrow, and we'll arrive like a little after lunchtime. Make and, it count. Get down yeah, there. Get to work. Like the nicest day being seventy degrees, mind you. So I guess Which I can't is still, complain too yes, much. Uh, much better than what we've dealt with and continue to deal with here. All right, well, let's dive into headlines. Don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com. Download the free 1380thefan app. That is free. Or on your smart speaker, Google, Alexa. Uh, the Amazon two, uh, Amazon has, I guess that's that's Alexa. There, there has to be another smart speaker that I'm not aware of. Has to be. I'm not Microsoft sure. have a smart speaker? Uh, Apple, Apple know, has yeah. a smart speaker, I'm sure. What about, isn't there like the dot or the echo? Yeah. Is that one? I think so. All right, there you go. So there, there we go. You can listen for free on those options as well. And the text line always open for you at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. So we start off in the NFL, and I guess no change for the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones says Mike McCarthy will be kept as the head coach in 2024. Also... I was reading about Dak's contract, and he has like some absurd cap hit and a no trade clause. Oh, and he's up for like contract negotiations. I think after next season, if I'm not mistaken. So good luck. 
Yeah, good luck with that. The definition of insanity, per Albert Einstein, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, particularly Dak Prescott. Yeah. Definition of insanity is thinking that you're just going to roll him out next year again and something is going to change. It's not going to change. The Cowboys refuse to change. I'm not one that says Mike McCarthy necessarily has to be fired, but what makes you possibly think that Dak Prescott is going to do anything better next year than this year? But you kind of mentioned why they're effectively stuck with Dak Prescott. They really have no real wiggle room in terms of cap, and it's difficult to move Dak Prescott. So they're alternative is to stick with him in which the Cowboys very well could win the NFC East again and flame out in the playoffs. Yeah. And and I agree like Mike McCarthy, I understand maybe not making the move, um, but for Dak Prescott, that's, that's where you lose me because he has something like a, a cap hit of like 59 million and change. So 2025 is when he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, they, they just need to try to find a way to get through next year. Yeah. That that's that's basically all there is to say to it because I think Dak Prescott is what two and five in the playoffs. Correct. He had I believe it's tied for the worst all time playoff record among quarterbacks to make at least five starts, which is Oof. a fair stat once you say it's five starts, right? Right. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to blame a quarterback for being zero and two or zero and three. One. But yes. But two and five. No. Uh, they haven't gotten to a conference championship game since what ninety six. I mean, come on. And yes. the thing is, the roster, I, I get everyone wants to blame Jerry Jones all the time for everything. The roster's good. They have a really good defense. They have really good weapons on offense. They're just... They're lacking at quarterback. They, they, have, they have a quarterback that can't win big games. Correct. He's good in the regular season, but he's not good in the playoffs. Now, you could say, well, that, that was Matt Stafford before he won a Super Bowl, and that was Peyton Manning even before he won a Super Bowl. But we have way longer of a sample size with Dak than we do with than we did with Peyton Manning at the time, right? And then with Matthew Stafford, I would say the Lions were a poorly run franchise when he was drafted in. And then he got him to the postseason, which was a massive accomplishment in and of itself. And so to me with Dak, I mean, this is a franchise that everyone wants to blame Jerry Jones for, oh, you know, he has full control over the roster. But look, the roster he's put together is good. They're just lacking at one spot as far as Winning in the postseason, it's Dak Prescott. It's the most important spot. So expect the same out of the Cowboys next year. They did fire their defensive coordinator for what that's worth. Um, And they'll go forward with McCarthy, but even more importantly, Dak Prescott for another year for the Cowboys. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the NFL, uh, Alex Van Pelt out as the Browns offensive coordinator. Uh, Somebody had to take the fall, I guess, for the early exit, but... I don't know. When you have, what, four different quarterbacks that started and won a game for you on offense, I kind of have a problem with firing the offensive coordinator. Like, isn't that really impressive what that offense was able to do? I I agree. Uh, Just because you didn't perform in the playoffs. And by the way, the offense didn't give up, what, 40-some points. I don't know. It's just you're in um, scapegoat season. With these teams, you he see the scapegoat for the Cowboys was the defensive coordinator. Well, Quinn's still there, but he's interviewing True. Like, for the commander. I'll be shocked if he's returning to Dallas. 
Uh, because Dan Quinn's is Dan Quinn is very well regarded. So, but you're seeing scapegoat guys, you know, and and in Cleveland it was the offensive coordinator when he didn't give up 45 points. He won four. He won games with four different quarterbacks this year. Really impressive what he was able to do, in my opinion. And yet the Cleveland Browns have to find somebody to blame, and it was Alex Van Pelt. Yeah, I I don't understand the move there, but it, it is what it is. Um, other note in the NFL Colts assistant GM Ed Dodds uh, interviewed yesterday for the chargers GM job. So could he be working with Jim Harbaugh? Who knows, but there's a possibility there. That'd be interesting to, uh, to come about for sure. And um, he is very highly regarded around the league and inevitable that, he would find a job, and it could be sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. 46862, again, your text line number, 46862. Some of the headlines in the NFL uh, from yesterday. Meanwhile, continuing on, and a headline in college football, Florida State. They've made no friends with their own conference, the ACC, and now the ACC pushing back as they are accusing Florida State for breach of contract for essentially revealing league financial information um, when they were kind of you know trying to find a way to sue to get in the college football playoff. Yeah, and, and exit out of the conference. Basically, what the ACC wants to do is ban them from participating in management affairs, which pretty much is talking about the ins and outs of the league and all that stuff. This, this relationship isn't going to end well. No. You know, I've Florida State, ACC, yes, Florida State fired first, but the ACC is is uh pushing them further away with these uh these latest uh aspects that they are focused on in terms of of laying down on Florida State. This is uh eventually Florida State's going to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get out of the ACC. Yeah, that that's the only conclusion you can come up with in this scenario. It's not going to end well. A uh, couple of notes uh, related to Fort Wayne and sports headlines over the last day. And the, the first one, really, really cool. A 19-year-old Fort Wayne native has been named as the Haas F1, F1 Academy Series driver. Chloe Chambers from Fort Wayne will take part in the series next season. Uh, racing under the Haas banner, so becomes the first American driver for the American-based team since it entered the sport back in, what was it, 2013, 2014? So uh, it was a really, really cool opportunity for her. She raced in the W Series in 2022, which is an all-women's series uh, affiliated with the FIA, raced uh, Porsches in North America this past year, and uh, raced in, in Toyota Winter Series. But pretty cool that uh, she's being developed as... Uh, as an academy driver out of Fort Wayne for Haas F1. Very cool. And also, Fort Wayne ties. Um, Josh Van Meter has signed a minor league contract with the New York Yankees. Just making his way around the league, isn't it, Josh Van Meter? Uh, spent last year with, who is he, with Pittsburgh? I believe so. Last year. Um, but has been with a multitude of teams and now will find his home in potentially with the New York Yankees. And then last night on the hardwood, it was another tough outing for Purdue Fort Wayne. They started 4-0 and 
in Horizon League play. Unfortunately, now they are 4-4 four and four in Horizon League play after falling to IUPUI uh, last night at home. So the, the Dons really struggling of late after a hot start in Horizon League action. And that is a not good IUPUI team. It's better than last year, but it's not a good basketball team. And I don't know what's going on at Purdue Fort Wayne, but you go from 13 and 2 to 13 and 6. You've lost six, four straight games. They were a minus 1,600 favorite on the money line. So 16 points. They were favored by 17 last night, and they lose by six at home. And they were down all game. Like, I think it was like 10 in the first half. It was, it, it's ugly right now for the Mastodon. No way around it. And it seemingly just came out of nowhere. I don't know if teams are figuring out their weaknesses. I don't know if it's effort defensively, which has kind of always been a question at times for Purdue-Fort Wayne. But four straight losses, and this is your only game at home in a five-game stretch. Ooh, rough. Now you got to figure it out, figure it out quick, because you are quickly plummeting down the Horizon League standings. Yeah, they they went from being at the top at 4-0, now they're... The, the bottom half at 4-4, four and four. Don's just 28% from three last night. Uh, so you have the bizarre overtime loss at Robert Morris on Friday night. Then you have, a, a, a which again, Robert Morris, the team only at the time was 2-5 and five in the conference after that loss. And now you have this. So hopefully the Don's can turn around. They're next in action coming up on Saturday at Cleveland State. Tip at 2 o'clock here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. A couple teams that have uh, recently owned the Mastodons. Cleveland State, I know it's been a competitive series, but Cleveland State has won the majority of those. And then Northern Kentucky has uh, absolutely owned the Dons as well. So two tough road games coming up. They have to figure out something because the season's going south reasonably quickly. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. The Indiana Pacers... Made a massive move yesterday afternoon. I said yesterday during the show, I'd be surprised if this happens because, well, it was leaked. Well, it was probably all but done at that time. They figured out the pieces. They worked in a third team. The Pacers getting Pascal Siakam from the Raptors. Indiana sends Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, two 24 first-round picks. More details on those in a second. A 26 first round pick. Meanwhile, the Pelicans, the third team involved, they send Kira Lewis Jr. in a 24 second to the Pacers. And the Pacers then moved Lewis to the Raptors to complete this trade. Pacers going all in. And, and you could say that's too many firsts, but as we mentioned yesterday, unless we're talking top five protected picks, those picks are a complete wild card when it comes to the NBA draft. Just a very aggressive move and not very often in recent memory have we used the words aggressive and pacers in the same sentence but at the very least if you're a pacers fan you have to like the fact that they're going for it because for a long time it was just well we're going to take their draft picks and we're going to be a middling team and oh maybe you know we can grow through the draft and and blah 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 and it just hasn't materialized what you've done is you've hit Big on a draft pick in Tyrese Halliburton, and now you have to give him the supporting cast. And that's what we're seeing the Pacers do. And bringing in Pascal Siakam is going to help tremendously. He is a pure forward, which really they don't have. I mean, uh, 
Matherin, Heald, uh, Naismith. I mean, they're all they're all playing forward, but they're not natural forwards. They're kind of undersized at forward. So now you slot in a natural six eight six nine forward that can actually play that position, and then obviously a secondary proven scorer behind Halliburton, and that's it, what Siakam gives you. Yeah, two time All NBA, two time NBA All Star, most improved player in twenty nineteen. NBA champion with the Raptors that year as well. I think the most important part is the Pacers improved defensively by a lot. Yes. I mean, this is the best offensive team numbers-wise in NBA history. Not just this season, but NBA history. On the flip side, defensively, they're the worst in the NBA. They have to be better. And the fact that they've been competitive with the Bucks as it is, uh, and winning that season series, what, 4-1 to one with Milwaukee? That was a good sign. Now you add in an elite defender who can match up better, say, with like a Chris Middleton, for example, that could that could play Giannis a little bit better. Like that's the key for Indiana is having more pieces defensively. And uh, you look at the picks and you say, well, that, that three first round picks, that's too much. Well, in the NBA, you look at the Pacers first round picks, they, they're not getting top 10 picks as it is. So they're in win now mode. And the twenty four, the first twenty four first round pick is from the Pacers to Toronto. Well, the Pacers aren't going to be a lottery team this year unless something crazy happens, right? So you don't have to worry about that. And then the other one is the worst of Oklahoma City, Utah, Houston, or the Clippers. Most of those teams are at least borderline playoff contention. So we're not talking about a a top pick. And again, it's the worst of that, not the best, but the worst. So. That's good. Then you look at the the 26 first round pick and that's the one that's protected one through four. So protected top four pick, at least that means it's not top five. But again, that's a couple years down the road. The the Pacers making a move now and that's what I like about this. Now, I get everyone's going to say, well, he's on an expiring deal, just like Buddy Heald. But the thing is, the Pacers don't make this deal if they don't have some assurances that Siakam's going to stay. Uh, everything that I, that I saw reported yesterday is that Siakam preferred to go to the Pacers. I mean, can you imagine a, a top 20, 30 player in the NBA preferring to go to the Indiana Pacers after you know being on the trading block? But that's what we have here. And they feel confident about Siakam resigning long-term. The Pacers retain his bird rights, which just means that uh, they will they got those via the trade, which then means they can keep him with a deal that would be five years, $247 million if it's a, a, a max max deal, which he will probably get. Some people will say, well, why didn't the Pacers just wait instead of trading all this for Siakam? You can't wait because then you have everybody involved in trying to land Pascal Siakam. And you're still, if you're going to be going up against the who's who in the NBA in terms of destinations, you're likely not getting him. So you had to pull the trigger here to get Pascal Siakam in Indianapolis uh, the, I guess my question is, is is this team now, and 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 put in Tyrese Halliburton, they're they're in win now mode, but they're now they're not that finals contender yet. Correct. Okay. So does that mean that Halliburton needs to take that next step? Is there somebody else? Is it a Benedict Matherin? Is it whoever that needs to step up and take that next step? Is it another potential outside ad? And I'm not saying this is going to happen this year, but maybe in free agency in the off season or even next year. But is this team, it's trending up, but it's not there yet. What gets them 
really at the top talking with Boston and Milwaukee and, and Philly. And, yeah. In Philly, it's Joel Embiid, and they don't have a lot after that, but he's so good of a player, right? One of the top, definitely top five in the NBA. You could argue top three. For the Pacers, you have Halliburton, you have Siakam, and then that third piece. Is that third piece Benedict Matherin, who's already on the roster? Is Miles Turner go and play an even higher level than he's played the last couple seasons? Like, that's that one thing that is missing. We'll talk about in hour number two. The Pacers still have another move they need to make. Before the end of this season, we'll get to that. But this is something that we've not seen from Indiana making a deal like this. This, on paper, puts them among the contenders in the top four in the East. Now, it doesn't push them over the hump unless they can get matched up with Milwaukee, right? And continue what they've done in the regular season, the postseason. But this definitely puts them on pace to at least win a first-round playoff series uh, and, and contend. And that's all you can ask for this season because I still think... They, they are a step of he- ahead where we thought, which would have been, you know, just simply making the playoffs, right? And, and th- now you kind of wonder, can they host a home playoff series? Can they win a playoff series? Those are things that should be on the table right now. Well, you look at it, and right now, uh, this morning, the Pacers are in that play-in mode, but they're effectively three games out of a top four spot. Well, like a, two games out of a top four spot in the East. So... Once you get Halliburton back, Adams adding Siakam to the equation, you look at it and say, okay, that should be enough to push the Pacers into that contending spots for three, four, five in the East, and we'll see if that materializes. But I think you brought up the uh, maybe the greatest point about Pascal Siakam and his ability to play defense, and we know this team has to figure out the defensive side, the defensive end of the floor, because it has been woeful at times this year, Siakam's going to help that tremendously. I mean, this is an elite player, like elite defender, a guy who's averaging above 25 and five, which is a benchmark for a really good player in the NBA. When it comes to 20 points, five rebounds, five assists, he's averaging 22, just over six rebounds and nearly five assists per game. This is an elite player in the league. Uh, He's 29 years old and the Pacers are going to have to, you know, pay a lot of money to keep him long-term, but to have Halliburton already locked in long-term, and then you don't make this move without the assumption that he's going to re-sign long-term. You have two of the three pieces you have to have to win a championship locked in for the next several years. And now I think it continues to change the narrative for the Indiana Pacers around the league. Tyrese Halliburton started that movement. Now Pascal Siakam and that deal adds to it is the, the, the Pacers are changing the identity of their franchise in the sense that it's it's on the rise, that team on the court is on the rise, and that works wonders in trying to attract talent. In the end, the majority, if not all of the NBA players, just want to win a championship. Yeah, they're getting paid, but they're seeking championships. And the top players are seeking championships because with titles comes notoriety okay, and stardom. And that's what they're chasing. And they look at the teams that can compete for that. Not necessarily the markets, but the teams. And if the Pacers can put themselves into that uh, level, at that level, then you're going to continue to attract talent. The, the Pacers have joined Milwaukee as far as small market teams that can contend. Uh, we thought Cleveland would be one of those teams uh, last couple of years that hasn't really panned out. But they're still a good team in the NBA. So it's not just the LA's, the Boston's, you know, the Miami's, 
um, so on and so forth as far as being contenders. And the Pacers, again, they're they're in a good spot for the first time. Teams want to come to Indiana. Tyrese Halliburton has changed that, and we've harped on that. That what they did in the in season tournament, the fun style of play, um, the fact that they have young, exciting players. This is a draw, and so the Pacers have now worked a trade and gotten someone who wanted to be on board here. Now they need to either take that next step, whether that's through another trade, through free agency, or just through a current Pacer playing in an even higher level late this year and next season. That That is what's next for Indiana. So we'll see what happens. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. The Pacers taking a calculated risk that I think you can't blame him. Once again, Kevin Pritchard gets it done with a trade, right? Paul George for Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis. Who won that trade? Uh, well, the Pacers did. Yes. Uh, then you have to trade Oladipo, and you you get let's see, you get uh, now his name escapes me, but the the Oladipo trade was a good deal for the Pacers too because they had to pretty much dump him and. They found a way to make this work again, and then Oladipo's not been the same player ever since. They get Levert, Karis Yeah, Levert. Karis Levert, who was a good player and a good piece. So they continue to work these deals, and Kevin Pritchard's found a way to build via trades because the Pacers have not had good enough draft picks. Now they're, they're getting there, right? I mean, Benedict Mathern was a good enough draft pick a couple years ago, um, but they haven't had the picks for quite some time, so they built via trade, and now... They're an attractive enough team that they can truly build via free agency. The Pacers have, have definitely put themselves in a different situation that, that they found themselves in for the better part of the last 10 or 15 years. We'll see if they can continue the forward momentum and take advantage of the opportunity once they get healthy. Uh, text coming in. Lottery picks are so hit and miss. Pistons were the worst team last year. Got the fifth pick. Roll the dice. Love to see it. It is a... You weaponize your picks, whether in whatever whatever league you're in, and the Pacers weaponize them to land one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Coming up on the other side, from the NBA to college basketball, Fletcher Lawyer having a monster season, especially in Big Ten play. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Thursday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us. 46862. Is how you reach us on the text line again, 46862. You can also reach us via Twitter slash X, Caleb Kinney 1380. And uh, our, our poll question yesterday was, well, at least for us, a massive disappointment in it the results. Very, very concerning um, for the future majority, of our Majority of people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understatement. Majority <laughs> of people believe that 5 p.m. is uh, evening, evening and not afternoon. Now, we're going to have to re-ask this question over the summer because I think we'll get a completely different response. Now, did you ask your wife at home? Because I did yesterday. and You know, I, I can't remember if I did or not. I don't know if I did. Uh, I, I should did, ask her. Uh, after the show, heading to the courthouse to file for divorce because I was told <laughs> that 5 p.m. is indeed evening. I, I asked the uh, WoWo newsroom down the hall, and they all, they all pretty much said it's evening. So... Uh, we finished the poll question with 74% of people saying it was evening. Five to six o'clock, apparently to the majority of people, is evening. But I do think it would be a, a fascinating question to bring up in six months when we're in the thick of summer in July 
and say, do you consider five o'clock yeah. afternoon or evening? Because I think we'll get a complete opposite response. Yes. I mean, when it gets starts getting dark at 4.30, like I totally get it. But when it's not dark till 10, then I think the... We're, we're just, we're trying to find something to, uh, to help the narrative we're trying to push out there that five to six o'clock is still indeed afternoon. We'll revisit it in July. Yes. I think we'll get a different answer. Uh, today's meaningless poll question. So since we, we talked NBA last segment and it, it's always about, you know, who's, who's breaking deals first. So pretty simple. Who you got Woj or Shams? Well, I'm yeah, who's your that, go-to? I'm posting that right now because, you, you know, you can go with the OG and Woj or you can go with the, the newcomer and Shams and, and yes, it is Shams, not Shams. Yes. Uh, for, for those who are unaware, it is Shams. Um, but yeah, you, Woj Bomb is the original, but Shams is the up-and-comer. So just let us know. Caleb Kinney, 1380, the, the poll is posted. Who do you have when it comes to these these NBA stories? Who you trust? Who whose alert are you signed up for during NBA free agency? Right. I, I do both, and then my phone gets like flooded. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, don't care about that. Oh, but then like when there's the one thing that you do care about, you're like, it's always like who was first with the Pacers. Yeah. I mean, so who was first? Yes, it was. Well, it, it's debatable because Shams had the the Pacers are nearing a trade story. Uh-huh. Remember during the IU Purdue game that was posted and and. <laughs> Everyone was like, not now, Shams. <laughs> we're, we're focused <laughs> on IU Purdue. And then uh, Woj, though, actually broke the trade as far as the completed trade. So, I mean, I would give the win to Woj because it's all about when it's official. Or at least when Woj has the details to say it, it's happening. Shams never said the Pacers are trading. Woj had the, the Pacers are trading for Pascal. Yeah, so like Shams was ahead. It pulled ahead and then Woj just jumped him by... By actually reporting the trade, yeah, so we'll follow this uh, as uh, as the show progresses to see where people people's allegiances are in terms of NBA insiders. Is it Woj, Woj, or Shams? Yeah, I I am I am a Woj guy. I'm a Woj guy. Is the OG? I usually yeah. stick with the OGs. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And it's crazy to think all that talent was at Yahoo Sports just a few years <laughs> yeah, ago. <I> know. <laughs> That's the part that blows me away. It's pretty wild. Yahoo Sports, and then they had Tom Crean on like the NBA draft. And I'm like, what? What a world that was just a few years back. Yeah, how times change pretty darn quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woj, uh, so far the early leader with all the votes early on. So we'll we'll see how it pans out. Meanwhile, from the NBA to college basketball, Fletcher Lawyer is having an unbelievable start in Big Ten play. So he had a big performance against Indiana the other night, 19 points, 4-4 from three. He is 16 of 28 during Big Ten play from three, or good for 57%. So for all the talk last year about Purdue's three-point struggles, I think they put that to bed this season, and Fletcher Lawyer has been a a key piece as to why. And I also want to point out, he seems to play his best and biggest games in some of the biggest matchups. At IU, had 19. Against Arizona, he dropped 27. Um, you go back, in Maui, he had 27 against Tennessee in one of those games. So he shows up in some of their biggest games, and I, I think another reason why Purdue is different from the Purdue we saw last year. Well, and I think you look at it, too, is recently had picked up, of course, hit all four of his three-point attempts against the Hoosiers, seemingly hit like eight in that game. Felt like uh, it. And, and then was uh, was pretty solid against Penn State and even that loss to Nebraska 
He hit some threes. But this is what it's going to take for Purdue to really enter the playoffs or enter the NCAA tournament and have success is these peripheral guys, these other guys. And that wasn't the case last year. We've talked about it so much about it with Zach Eady and nobody else last year in terms of proven production. And I think the most encouraging thing about Fletcher Lawyer, and, and as you said, is in big games, he's there. I think last year, in big games, Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, sometimes the moment was too big for them. And it was expected because they were young. They were freshmen. Now I think that Fletcher Lawyer in particular looks at no situation, no environment, no game is big enough to take him out of his game. And that's huge. And you mentioned about the conference play and, and, and last year, uh, particularly early on and then late kind of uh, started strong and then faded, but has been strong, strong, strong out of the gate in terms of in-conference play. And while the points, and here's an interesting thing too, is is you look at it and um, while the, the averages aren't up in terms of scoring that much from last year and, and even rebounding, not that like stats can only tell some of the story. And I think maybe the biggest one is three-point percentage. Yeah. Hitting I mean, 11% he, more than a year ago. He, he went from 32.6 to 43.8. And, and again, shooting 57% in Big Ten play. Usually, you would expect that number to tank. And instead, it seems like he's shooting better in Big Ten play because he's he's become a better player. And I think Purdue has found their footing and how to use Lance Jones, and he's been way more effective than I think any of us could have imagined. I think that's been big. And, and Lawyer shooting five percentage points better overall as well, and a lot better from the free throw line, nearly eight percentage points better. He He's become a better player, even though just his scoring average is up not even half a point per game, but he has become a better player this season. And I think that's one of the other reasons why Purdue has looked as good as they have. Well, and he's been more productive with less shots. And and I'll get to a text in a second that's kind of an interesting point, and we'll see what you think on it. But he's taking less shots than he was a year ago. He's taking less threes than a year ago. It's not a significant margin, but it's impressive enough because he is being more effective with less balls being thrown at the basket. And he's shooting much better from three. He's shooting much better from the free throw line, almost 10%, where he was near automatic in high school. And anytime he missed, it was a story. And last year, shot sub 80% from the line. Which, which is, was shocking Which for is us. shocking for Fletcher <laughs> Lawyer. I mean, that's pretty much like under 50% for anybody else. And so you're seeing the comfort of year two. And the question that the texter brings, and it's a good point, love Fletcher, but need to see him shoot this well the entire season, especially in tournament. My question is, too, does Fletcher Lawyer need to be looked at for more opportunities? Does Purdue need to start running more sets? Obviously, everything's going to run for, through Zach Eady. But based on the production of Fletcher Lawyer, do you look to him more? Or is you do not want to shake the boat in terms of everybody's role and just continue in what he's doing? I say you don't shake the boat because what you're doing is working. I, I think the inside-out approach that they play with is super effective. When when you have guys along the perimeter, like Lance Jones and Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, and then you throw in the occasional game from Mason Gillis or Trey Kaufman-Wren, right? then you have multiple guys who can beat you on the perimeter. So that inside-out approach to me is effective. So wh- why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That, that's like one of my favorite sayings. 
And I think that's where we're at with Purdue. No, I, I'd agree. I, I do think at some point in the NCAA tournament, those guards are going to have to hit shots to win games. And I feel a lot more comfortable in that happening this year as I was a year ago with the Boilermakers. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest change from last year to this year, right? It's that the guards are an asset this season. Last season down the stretch, they were a liability. And that's just simply not the case this year. What's interesting is if you average his stats out of per 40 minutes, he is shooting an incredible 24% better from the three-point arc than he was a year ago. And that's over 40 minutes. Uh, it, it, it pretty pretty crazy. And then you see his his points production actually go up significantly from last year in terms of per 40 minutes, but uh, in conference at very least. Well, and he's playing less minutes a game. Like he's playing three less minutes a game on average this year too. Right. But his is, percentages are better. It's all about being more effective when you're on the floor. And that comes from growth. And that's the big thing I think that you look at this Purdue team is there's natural progression and there's player development, and that's almost a given now with Purdue. Is well, Fletcher Lawyer is going to be better. P- team pl- players don't plateau at Purdue. It seems like they're always getting better. And Fletcher for this year seems to be the poster boy of that mantra. Four six eight six two. The text line number again. Four six eight six two. If you have thoughts on Fletcher Lawyer and Purdue, and, and the other note I want to get to with Purdue, what they've done this season, so they have more. Quad one and quad two wins at 11 than anyone else. No team has more than eight. So Again, mm. they're putting together another top overall seed resume, especially if they roll through the Big Ten. But at the very least, the expectations continue to grow for Purdue. That can, it can all go down the tubes with another early exit in the NCAA tournament. What What is the line for Purdue in terms of People will be satisfied enough, but feel like something's still on the table. Is that Sweet 16? No, I think it's Elite Eight at least. Okay. For this team, um, I, I think if this team, over the past two years, if it completes its run with Zach Eady and he's done at the end of the year, not getting to a Final Four is going to be looked at as a disappointment by Purdue fans. Yes. I would say if they get to the Elite Eight, that they've at least put themselves in range to at least meet my expectations. I know there's people who look at Final Four and beyond, of course. So maybe I do say Final. Maybe, I, maybe I'm talking myself into it. I say Final Four. This team is good enough and has been good enough for the last two years to reach a Final Four. If this, if this season doesn't result in a Final Four and this team goes over these two two-year stretches without an appearance in the Final Four, it's a disappointment. Well, and, and people are always going to... You know, last year's team was a year ahead, but they <laughs> exceeded expectations by a mile, right? But the the early tournament loss still left a sour taste as far as what the, all that they had accomplished in the regular season. Then, this year's team, I mean, the expectations were there going into it. Now it's, what are they going to do to complete the rest of the season, right? You check off the boxes as they go. They won Maui, right? They got number one ranking again. Uh, you, you beat IU in the first matchup. Obviously, you'd love to sweep IU. You'd love to win the Big Ten regular season. You'd love to win the Big Ten tournament. But then really what, what it comes down to, can you check the box of getting 
Pat, Matt Painter and Purdue their first Final Four uh, since 1980, and that that is what it comes down to, right? But yeah. I don't think I don't think you can say the season's a complete failure if they're losing in the Elite Eight or even Sweet 16. But this era will be looked at as a failure for not yeah. having a Final Four banner. I think it's a good way to put it. I, I think in the, the the current iteration of this team, barring injury or whatever, there are no excuses for this team. Last year, you could say they were a year early, uh, inexperienced backcourt, blah, blah, blah. There are no excuses for this Purdue basketball team. They're playing up to their potential largely this year. Every team's going to have blemishes. We're not talking about Purdue or anybody else or UConn going undefeated or anything. Um, Purdue has a couple Big Ten losses. They'll finish with, I think, five, which is totally acceptable in the Big Ten. But when you get into the tournament, this isn't the upstart Boilermakers that are year ahead or the Boilermakers with the player of the year but an inexperienced backcourt. This is a very much a Purdue team with little weaknesses. And mostly their weaknesses are self-inflicted in terms of turnovers. And that potentially could be what holds Purdue back. But to me, yeah, I look at this era, this two-year stretch of Purdue, if they don't get to a Final Four, it's a disappointment. Coming up on the other side, you may be, uh, well, perhaps disappointed or excited, depending on how you feel about streaming. Some of your favorite teams could be coming to streaming. And I'm talking on a more regional and local market level. We'll explain what changed next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862, the text line number. Again, 46862. Just put in uh, CK before your question, comment, rant, and we'll get to those throughout the show this morning. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Big news in sports television and how we watch the diamond sports group which owns bally sports they've been dealing with bankruptcy well they got a big investment 100 million dollars from amazon which means we'll see nba nhl but no major league baseball they're not on board with this the mlb and or excuse me nba and nhl teams on board so Amazon making a minority investment in Diamond Sports Group, so it'll still be Bally Sports, but Prime Video will be the direct-to-consumer partner for streaming, a.k.a. the the app that you go to, because currently it's done by Bally itself, and it's like 20 bucks a month to watch the Pacers, and they have a slight discount. Now, the, the best deal they have is like that thing, that, and I don't think they have any of those left this season where you could like buy like a five-game pack and it included the yeah, Bally yeah. subscription, and like a Pacers meet-and-greet. That was the best option they had. Uh, but this investment, the cost is unclear as far as what this means. Will this just be included with Prime? Will you have to still pay an additional monthly fee? Sounds like you won't. Now, the particulars with this from the New York Post is that currently only five teams will have their games broadcast on Amazon Prime. The Tigers the Royals, the Marlins, the Brewers, the Rays. The other ones will not as of right now. They will stay on Bally. Bally is in a situation similar to print media where it's like you continue to charge people, charge people, charge people more and more money. Like you just try to squeeze every little bit of juice out of that orange before the orange just outright uh, gets rotten, goes rotten. 
That's kind of where newspapers are. They continue to charge you, charge you, charge you. Rates go up, all that stuff. And they're just trying to bleed the remaining subscribers they have dry until everything goes away. That's kind of where Bally is right now. And Amazon is coming in and say, okay, we'll give you $100 million of cash infusion as, as an investor into Diamond Sports Group. And we're going to broadcast these five teams as games. All 162 will be broadcast on stream. You don't have to buy, at least from what New York Post understands, an additional fee. It's just the regular $14.99 monthly fee for your Prime membership, or if you pay, pay annually, it's less, all that stuff. Uh, it is not clear if fans in those markets would need to pay more than the Prime membership to get access to those games, but it's not believed that it will be that case. Yeah, and I, I guess... The question I have outside of, you know, is there an additional cost, which, which I think is the most obvious question. The secondary question is, what does that mean for blackouts and streaming? Um, does that mean we're going to continue to have blackouts for, for games that are, quote, out of market? And I say, quote, around it because it's kind of a joke as far as how it works on, on games you can and can't watch with these regional sports networks. But... Bally has the rights to five MLB teams. Um, they're also going to have to have uh, Sinclair is going to pay a ton of money as well. That's that's the ends the litigation between them and Sinclair, which is the parent company of Diamond Sports Group. They'll pay four hundred ninety five million dollars for the support. Uh, MLB, though, again, not on board, which is interesting because you mentioned that the teams that they'll have the rights to. But those five teams are separate that have digital rights deals with Bally. Those teams will have games offered on Prime, but we don't know what it means for the remaining teams if they strike a deal or not. So in terms of what it has in the impact regionally, still can't watch the Pacers on Prime. Still can't watch the Reds on Prime. Um, still can't watch like the Red Wings or the Pistons or the Bucks or the Blues or the Blue Jackets. So regionally, or the Cardinals... Uh, regionally, you're still in, you're 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 still pretty much screwed unless you're a fan of the Brewers or the Tigers here regionally. But also, I think that's where we're going. I think the end game is a lot of this stuff's going to be on Prime. Uh, also, like, what does this mean for the Pacers' TV contract for next season and, and other NBA teams and other of these teams that have deals with Bally because of the bankruptcy? Does this just mean it's back to status quo, or does this mean there's going to be a shift? Well, per the- it's, it's unclear. Per the New York Post article says, quote, the the network's streaming rights for NBA and NHL teams ends after this season. Diamond, which may not emerge from bankruptcy until after the current season, is expected to negotiate for the 24-25 streaming rights so Amazon can air local basketball and hockey games going forward. So it is that combined where if you have Bally, you you have access to Prime, or if you have Prime, it doesn't matter if you have Bally. That's kind of what I understand it, because I think more people probably have Prime than have access to Bally because you either have to pay 20 bucks a month for the app or you have to have what Xfinity is Xfinity. The only local uh, cable outlet satellite outlet that has Bally as part of its normal package. I know the satellites don't, I don't have it. You don't have it. Yeah. I haven't been able to watch Pacers games outside of those on national TV since the NBA bubble. All right. (laughs) Yeah. In 2020. That's saying a lot. So, and now granted, the Pacers are going to have more nationally broadcast games. That's nice, but you still can't watch every single game. So hopefully the end game here is the majority or if not all of 
the Bally Sports Group outlets, networks, uh, even if they're still over the air, also have a Amazon Prime element because we could tune in to watch the Reds. We could tune in to watch the Pacers for those of us that don't have Bally, which is a considerable amount of people. We'll see how this plays out, but at least it seems like a step in a positive direction as far as access because it doesn't do your team any good to put it on a regional sports network and not give people access. Don't well, you want people having eyes on your product? Well, that's, I mean, that, the, that's the part like, that's been so frustrating to me for so long. And for some people like, well, they're getting paid, but like, no, they're not. They're not getting their money from Pally because Pally filed bankruptcy. So yeah, you chase the money. This is the danger because you've put yourself off the, uh, uh, in terms of making yourself accessible to your fans. It's more difficult on Bally. You chase the money. And now, in some instances, you're not even getting the money from Bally. 46862 is the text line. Again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. The Pacers have traded for Pascal Siakam. But they still have one major move to make. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Text line always open for you at 46862. Again, 46862. If you have thoughts on the Pacers trading for Pascal Siakam, let us know on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. This hour we'll talk about the Pacers. They still have one major move to make, plus the Colts' ownership. After the news has come out the last couple of days, where do things stand as far as the Colts and what's to come moving forward? We'll take a look at that and... An NBA player missed work due to an interesting reason. DeAndre Ayton had to sit out of a game, missed his return to the lineup from an injury. Uh, We'll talk about some of the most bizarre reasons you have missed work, whether that's missed in quotes or missed in reality. (laughs) And at the end of the show, the world's oldest dog title now under review and a passenger was trapped in this area on an airplane for the entire flight. Hmm. Sounds fun. Also, it is snowing quite hard outside. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it is. Well, we're supposed to get snow like this morning, and then overnight tonight is supposed to be pretty crazy. Because so you could have a uh, you're going to leave with it snowing tomorrow morning, and hopefully arrive in sunshine in Florida tomorrow. Yeah. Well, last I checked, it's supposed to be overcast. But well, I can't have see. it all. No, it's going to be <laughs> seventy tomorrow. So you shut up over there. <laughs> that was the last check. I haven't I haven't checked the weather. I've, I've been very optimistic but the weather has not shifted to where like last year it was perfect it was like 75 the first day and then around 70 yeah that's great sunny the other days that we went for like a long weekend and so hopefully tomorrow that holds up Uh, let's let's hope for you positive i guess everyone else here enjoy the snow enjoy the cold yep we will thanks thanks for (laughs) your support (laughs) i have none i have none to give (laughs) Uh, so that's all to come this hour on the show, beginning in four, six, eight, six, two. If you have thoughts on the Pacers going for Pascal Siakam, let us know on the text line. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us 1380, the fan.com. That's free. The free 1380, the fan app. You can download that. And we have a new feature on the app called like the mic drop, where there's an icon. that's like a microphone where you can leave a message via the app. Oh, and send us your thoughts that way. And then also on your smart speaker, Alexa, Google, you said like echo and echo dot, right? Uh, yeah. 
whatever those are. Did you see this yesterday coming out? Now, it's been a wild kind of offseason for the White Sox, uh-huh. uh, which we do give tickets to White Sox games, and we kind of joked about who wants to go to guaranteed rate field. Well, there is apparently serious discussions about the White Sox. No, not moving, but building a stadium in the South Loop of Chicago and replacing guaranteed rate field. Why? Because nobody wants to go to guaranteed rate field. But building <laughs> another stadium, like, like, is that really going to fix the problems? Like, you got to put I, a good I, no, product on the so. field. No, I think so. I think it's a it's it'd be a boost. I think it's the stadium's not in a good area. No, it's not. Uh, it's it's a better area than it used to be. Yes, like it used to be really bad when they still had the project buildings and stuff on that side on the south side, but um. It would be currently about an about four miles north of where Guaranteed Rate Field is now in what's called the seventy eight development area in the South Loop, but there are apparently serious discussions going on to build a stadium. My thing would be, why don't you just build the Bears a stadium in the South Loop? Would be my thing, but um, who knows? But this could be interesting to watch because we do give tickets away for White Sox games here. And, and we've, we've joked about it before on who wants to go to White Sox games, a, because the team is bad, but B, the, the, the stadium has no charm, no character whatsoever. So what do you need to bring people in? Two things, a decent stadium and amenities and a good team. Well, who knows if the White Sox are going to be a good team anytime <laughs> soon. So they may as well try the stadium route. Yeah. Yeah. And, and raise ticket prices. We'll see. So that'll be something to watch. It went from, moving potentially moving out of chicago flirting with nashville to now apparently maybe building a new stadium yeah i i I don't know if that's like to me nashville's trying really hard to get a team but you would want uh, like a roof over that stadium just because of how hot it is or at least make sure you provide shade because baseball games in the summer starting at you know seven o'clock central time like that that just sounds brutal yeah, I, I definitely agree. Speaking of, of of roofs over stadiums, can we force Buffalo <laughs> to put a roof over the stadium? Like, I, I enjoy a good snow game, okay? But, like, this is absurd. Like, Buffalo is the one of, if not the snowiest major metropolitan areas in the country, okay? Like, watching that game, and, like, there were no seats. Like, they could not... I mean, there were some, but other areas that were just were completely snow covered and people were just expected to stand. I guess, I guess this is the, um, the crotchety old man in me now that I'm north of 40 is like, I don't want to go to a football game and just have to stand the whole time or sit in a pile of snow. And they had NHL games canceled last night because of another storm system that's moving through the Buffalo area. It's kind of, and and their next stadium is going to be open air and I'm all for open air stadiums like i I, i've been talking about the element but it's like it's a different thing in buffalo it's just pretty absurd but um that would be my pushes for a dome stadium in buffalo all right we've we've gone very off track we will get we'll get we never do that Uh, but i find this so you mentioned snowy cities in the country yes buffalo's on the list okay um denver is not no, because Denver, people think, of, oh, Denver, but like Denver's... They don't get much snow. No, they're not in the mountain. They're at the foot of the mountains, but they're not in the mountains. So you have South Bend, Indiana. This is according to a study. Mm-hmm. Uh, is 15th, 46.2. 
as far as average snowfall over the last five years. And the study was done last year. Okay. Um, Michigan towns represented. No surprise. You have uh, Grand Rapids at number 10. Muskegon, which is north of there, um, at number nine. You have a Michigan town at number one. Uh-huh. Sault Ste. Marie. Yes. I was thinking Sault Ste. Marie would be that. Caribou, Maine is number two. Erie, Pennsylvania, number three. Would you guess where Buffalo falls on this list? Um, well, I'm going to say that it's, it's upper New York next. So I'm going to say, there are they four? Uh, they are five. Syracuse, New York oh, okay. is so number four. Close. Then you have Binghamton at number six. Flagstaff, Arizona. That's the one that shocks me is Flagstaff, mm-hmm. Arizona. Gets they have a lot, lot of mountains of there. They do. Uh, Burlington, Vermont at eight. And then I mentioned Muskegon and Grand Rapids rounding out the top ten. So, yes. Sault Ste. Marie, Caribou, Erie, Syracuse, Buffalo. The top five. Um, I don't know Caribou, Maine, but all the rest on the list, not a surprise at all. No, not at all. But Syracuse has a dome, and I don't even play a lot of games in the wintertime. I don't know. I mean, it's, basketball, but yeah. But I'm talking football games. Yeah, no. But yeah, the bu- Buffalo thing is just like, come on. I was surprised that International Falls was all the way in 18th. That's in Minnesota. Yeah. They're often like one of the coldest spots in the U.S. Yeah, same with like Juneau, Alaska. They're like top 20 that I'm looking at the list here. I would expect them to be higher. Just uh, assume Alaska gets a lot of snow. Not necessarily. It's more coastal. I mean, the true. Juneau and Anchorage are coastal, so they're, they're not getting as much snow. That's true. The one that really surprised me Youngstown, Ohio, in the top mm. 20. They're at 17. Making a run at number 17. Congratulations, Youngstown. All right. Indiana Pacers. They trade for Pascal Siakam. A text came in. A Pascal trade is massive. Two players that can easily combine for 50 every night, and they still have the deepest bench in the leg in the league. That's the thing for me on this trade that we didn't talk about in hour number one. The Pacers didn't have to give up a lot. You give up Jordan Wara. You give up in terms of players. You give a Jordan Wara and you give up Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown was a big free agent signing. He was a nice piece, but... Well, he I, was supposed to be your defensive guy, and that yeah, didn't turn out that, to be... No, that has not really worked right. in, in Indiana. And I think he was a nice piece, but he was never counted on to be like a top guy. And they signed him to that mega contract, so you unload that contract, which has one year remaining after this year because it was a pretty short-term deal. You didn't have to give up anything. Like, in terms of your young guys... You didn't have to give up Obi Toppin. You didn't have to give up Jarris Walker, Aaron Neesmith, uh, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. Like You have so much depth. In fact, the Pacers have too much depth now at the four that you would think those would be some of the pieces for the next move that they make, which is finding a deal for Buddy Heald before the trade deadline. Is that still on the table? Because I think it should be. Expiring contract, you're, you're going to have to re-sign uh, Pascal Siakam, you're not going to have the money to re-sign Buddy Heald. Yeah. So make a move now and get something out of it. And with Jalen Smith, Obi Toppin, Aaron Neesmith, Jarris Walker, Isaiah Jackson, you're overloaded at, at forward when you add in Pascal Siakam. So now that's the next move on the table. The Pacers don't have the picks, but they still have pieces that they can make a move at the deadline. And, and the question is, is Buddy Heald still a Pacer after February 8th? Well, I think the big thing, too, is but do the Pacers even have to make another trade as opposed to luring somebody in free agency that they otherwise would not have been able to get because of Halliburton and Siakam as a solid one, too? And make no mistake, Siakam, in, in looking at his career numbers and who he's played with, really has never played with a guy the caliber of Tyrese Halliburton. 
in terms of a dude that can create for himself and others on the floor and also the way the Pacers play. It is very much a high-speed, up-and-down floor. That's why they're one of the highest-scoring teams in the NBA and give up one of, some of the most points in the NBA is the way they play. They play spaced out. They go up and down the floor. It's very much, it looks like chaos, but it's organized chaos. At least you hope most of the time. And so I could see Siakam's numbers offensively go up. The dude's averaging 22 points a game. He could a- easily average over 25 a game with the Pacers and the way they play. But I think also the the... One of the most important things is what he brings uh, defensively. But I also think this looks, and and, and this puts, uh, I guess it's pressure. You could say it's pressure on Tyrese Halliburton. What happened yesterday was the Indiana Pacers going, okay, we feel like we have a burgeoning star slash superstar that's going to be the catalyst for this next generation of Indiana Pacers and the success we can potentially have. This is an investment in Tyrese Halliburton as much as anything yesterday in saying, you are our guy. You are this this generation's Reggie Miller in terms of we're going to build a team, a roster around you with the aim to win the East and compete for an NBA championship. And so that's a lot of pressure on a dude as young as Tyrese Halliburton as as what this move signified yesterday. But you bring in Pascal Siakam, who's an NBA champion, who's older, he's 29, sure. still in his prime, right? You're going to get a good window of him. Hopefully you, you get a you know four or five-year deal. You ride out the rest of that prime, and, and this is your opportunity to win a title. And for the Pacers... Now it's, you know, what what do you get out of Buddy Heald? I still say you make a move if you get the right offer at the deadline. The Magic, reportedly interested. They're going to be a buyer before the deadline. Um, they've, they've been interested in Heald listed, uh, you know, as far as Heald listed as a potential trade target out there for the Magic. But again, you, you don't have to reach for a deal like before. All the talk going into the season was... You know, Buddy Heald, you got to trade him before the deadline. Now right. that now the Pacers can pick their spots with that. Sure. Yes, I think I still think you want to trade him before the deadline because if you can get a good player out of it to add to your team, but it's it's not a must complete move. Just like last season, it was you got to trade Turner to the de- deadline. Well, then they extended him, so then you didn't have to worry about that. So now that the Pacers are are in a position of strength here with the assets they have, including Buddy Heald. It's a phenomenal move. The only people focused on the picks don't really understand how the NBA works until in, in terms of how you put yourself in position to win championships in the NBA. You, you, especially teams like Indiana, you have to hit on a pick. Milwaukee with Giannis. Pacers with Tyrese Halliburton. That's, that's the start of it. You have to hit on a pick. And then you build around them by any means necessary. And I, I commend the Pacers for not waiting because it could have been easily for them to say, well, Tyrese Halliburton's still 23 years old. He's still going to develop. We have time to to pick other guys in the draft and build around him like they have the last couple of years. But no, the Pacers looked at it and say, we have a guy in Tyrese Halliburton at 23 that we're going to build around now. You're not waiting till 27, 28 to be like, all right, we need to start building around Tyrese Halliburton because we've whiffed on picks and it hasn't worked out. No, they have become aggressors. 
They're saying, we know Tyrese Halliburton is going to be the guy for us for the next decade, and we're going to put as good of a team around him as we possibly can. And you look at the 2024 NBA draft, this is the weakest draft they've had in years. I mean, you look at the box, you're not going to recognize a lot of these names. There's a lot of international guys. There aren't a lot of college players who are are going to be at the top, right? So this is a weak draft, and that's why the Pacers flipping these picks. You can't think of a better time to move these picks with how weak the draft is projected to be. Absolutely. You, you can't bank on building through the draft in the NBA. NFL, you can get away with it, and you can make some peripheral moves in free agency to add to your team. It's not that easy because obviously more rounds. I mean, even you get into the second round of the NBA and the majority of those guys are going to be in the G League. Uh, so that's the big thing, and you have to be aggressive, and it's awesome to see the Pacers doing so. 46862, again, the text line number, if you have thoughts on the Pacers making a move for Pascal Siakam or... The next move you want them to make, let us know on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Coming up next, Colts ownership. Jim Mersey has it all for now. We'll take a look at how everything is structured and what do we see as far as the timeline, the Colts moving forward, and will this impact what happens on the field anytime soon? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. A little bit of Green Day. You just showed me a clip off air. Green Day just just showed up and started playing a little mini concert at a New York City subway stop. Yeah, just uh, busted out the guitar and, and started playing American Idiot in the subway in New York City. Now, the Pretty real cool. question, was there a guitar case open with a couple bucks I, in for I don't people know. to tip. Maybe right? that's where Green Day is now, as they have to have their street performers in New York. No, it was pretty cool. The, uh, with the with the band just basically playing in the subway and people surrounded them. It was, it was pretty cool. Stuff that happens in New York that doesn't happen here. No. But, and there are some things that happen in New York that we're glad don't happen here. That is true. But one of the things we do wish we had impromptu Green Day concerts. That would be nice. Yeah. But, you know, take the go with the bad. We, we don't we don't get free impromptu concerts in Fort Wayne. No, we don't. It's just one of the things we don't get in, in Fort Wayne. What we do get is snow, snow. right now <laughs> that's coming down outside here on the uh, south side of town. And it goes with the territory here in January. Yeah, we'll, we'll get through it. Oh, you will. Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. Break I'll, in I'll, Florida. Yeah, I'll be in, I'll be in Florida. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be thinking about us the entire time. <laughs> nope. not at all i will be enjoying warm weather hopefully some sun we'll see uh eating lots of seafood yeah which is your favorite that you can't get a lot of good seafood around here will you be thinking about indianapolis colts football Uh, i'll be following from afar because what's happened this week it, it does raise this question i'm not saying something has to change right now but it does raise the question of the Colts' ownership transition structure. And the Colts have said nothing more than what's happened. They they doubled down, essentially, that Jim Mercy has a severe respiratory illness. They said that back on January 9th. They reiterated that the other day after there was a report by TMZ that Ursay overdosed back in early December, and he was found blue and unresponsive but the Colts have revealed or released no such information on that. But what is unknown as far as how the transition is now, 
Ursay in the Colts, hundred uh, percent owned by the Ursay family. Now, Correct. what's unclear is the percentages of ownership by Jim Ursay and his three daughters. Now, back when Jim Ursay was in rehab in 2014, Carly Ursay Gordon led the business operations. So that's maybe the name to to keep in mind as far as who would be the the one. But this is a problem for the NFL in terms of transitions. I mean, we we saw this with. The Denver Broncos. We, we saw this with the Seahawks. We've seen this with numerous franchises as far as the, the court battles and battles over who transitions and, and even saw this with the Texans. That that That's happening right now as far as who, get, who gets control. So this is one of those things. And between the, the three daughters, it, it feels like Carly is the one who's most involved right, yeah. with the team on a day-to-day basis. But they all have the title of vice chair and owner. So, it, and we don't have percentages as far as who who has what level of control. And the Colts have no minority owners. Hundred percent owned by the Ursay family. Carly would be, in my opinion, the one in line to at least take over operations and run, quote unquote, run the franchise. I could see it still just being owned by the the Ursay family, quote unquote. But her being the basically the patriarch kind of of everything but uh it's it's all very interesting on how this would fall i mean jim ursay is only quote-unquote only 64 years old but obviously has some issues we've known he's had issues in the past you know publicly it looked like those those issues were behind him obviously they're not does that affect ownership in any way uh just a lot of of uh of murkiness behind the scenes and would it change anything on the outside in terms of if if tomorrow Jim Irsay stepped down and Carly took over? I just feel like nothing really would change in terms of the day to day or very little because Carly's already heavily involved. I just don't see this as a major transition. But could it come sooner rather than later based on what we've learned this week? Maybe. And at what point do you worry about those things affecting what's happening on the field? Because. I mean, think about it. Ursay was in rehab in 2014. What have the Colts done since then? Well, they struggled, right? right? They haven't won an AFC South divisional title, which, granted, the, the Colts put a lot of emphasis on. That not emphasis is not from me. That's from the Colts and and what they say they want to do. They've had to deal with Andrew Luck's early retirement, that transition, the disaster that was the end of the 21 season, the disaster that was the 2022 season, and now starting fresh like they did this year and having success. But at, at some point you wonder, you know, are, are those the struggles behind the scenes that Ursay is having, what impact that has on the field? Because that's always something you have to keep in mind with this Colts franchise. Well, and the Colts are interesting. They don't have like a team president or anything. No. It's, it's, it's basically Ursay and then Ballard uh, with the three daughters in there. So, and I know Jim Jim Ursay is is more heavily involved as the uh, de facto team president. Uh, would would Carly or the daughters and Casey and Kalen hire then a a, a a team president to run more of the day to day operations that Jim oversees currently? I don't know, but it will be a uh, interesting subplot I think to win that changeover takes place if there is a team president job created to fill that role because right now Jim effectively does that as opposed uh, and also being the owner and, and CEO and everything so 
think it's going to be an interesting storyline to watch once we find out more about Jim Ursay's condition. And, you know, I, I don't know. Is, is, is the respiratory talk real? Is it cover for being in rehab? I don't know. Ursay's not been really seen since December 16th. He was at that win over Pittsburgh, posted video on social media documenting the day after the game, but then uh, he's, he's been nowhere ever since, it's, right? I mean, his team, I mean, then uh, you look at it and not making the playoffs, but that game was huge in terms of it was effectively a playoff game. He was nowhere to be found. I mean, is he in rehab somewhere? Um, I don't know. So there's definitely some um, some things to figure out behind the scenes for the Indianapolis Colts that has nothing to do with on the field, but when you factor in the impact that Jim Ursay has had on the on-field product, it is kind of a big deal. And you also, and I don't think we really talked about this at the time, but you had his interview that he did with Andrea Kramer on HBO's Real Sports back in November talking about a previous overdose where he said he was slurring his words and there was a code blue. He stopped breathing and the, they revived when the doctor said, Jim, you're one lucky man, man, because I had signed virtually the death certificate. So now I don't think you virtually signed death certificates. No, I don't know. How I don't works. think that's how that it's works. not something I've really researched. No, but that's an actual paper. I don't think that's a virtual thing, but, uh, it is a curious question about what this means for the Colts and if this shows up during the offseason as far as will we get any more information on this? Obviously, the Colts don't have to release anything if they don't want to, but if there's something more serious going on, the Colts have said he's stable. If there's something more serious going on, what does this mean for the transition and are those plans in place? The longer that Jim Ursay is out of the public eye, the more suspect more you suspect something going on because Correct. he's not a dude that is out of the limelight. No. For better or for worse at times. <laughs> uh, Adam Schefter this morning has re- has uh, reported on the Super Bowl 58 lineup. I see it here. Okay. So of the of musical acts, at least prior to the game. So you have Reba McIntyre will sing the national anthem. Post Malone will sing America the Beautiful. Quite the combination there with Reba and Post Malone. Yeah. Uh, Andra Day will sing with Lift Every Voice and Sing. I have no idea what that song is. That is like the Black National. Okay, gotcha. Do you know who Andra Day is? Uh, I do not. Me neither. Okay, so that's your pregame lineup for Super Bowl 58. I would say a a solid trio. I I think I have heard of Andra Day, but I couldn't tell you what she's sung. But uh, Reba, Post Malone, and Andra Day. Andre Day, I'm looking her up. Um, pretty accomplished, as one would expect. I think she's like an R&B singer. I think. Yes, R&B, like her genres are R&B, soul, pop, and blues. She's from San Diego, um, uh, with Warner Records. Nice. She's oh, been she- in a, a few movies too, as far as like the voice or or, or singing. Sweet. Um, but yeah. She's received three Grammy Award nominations. Three more than we have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best song written for visual media. Uh, and a daytime Emmy Award for live performance of her song Rise Up. Um, also, received a nomination for best original song. 
the Golden Globes and for a, a movie that uh, on Billie Holiday. So a ah. nomination for Academy Award for Best Actress for the role as well. So she's actor, singer, had some success. So three accomplished uh, singers and um, media folk or in terms of performance uh, that will headline the pregame festivities of Super Bowl 58. And Usher the Halftime Show. And Usher the Halftime Show. Just to be a, a blast back to 2002, apparently. You know what's funny Usher. is what they've done with the Halftime Show is they keep having artists you know who are popular 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And then when you're a kid, you're like, these artists aren't relevant. And then you realize, <laughs> wait, the tables have turned. Yes. How the turns have tabled. <laughs> when you look at the matchups this weekend for... The NFL. Yeah. Uh, in the AFC, Houston, Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo, and the NFC, can, uh, it's Green Bay, San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Detroit, is the most scintillating matchup that Kansas City, Buffalo game? Yes. Is there a second one that you say, okay, outside of that one, this is the most intriguing? Um, Green Bay, San Francisco, only because we know San Francisco's good if they score first, right? But what happens if they don't score first? And that's the ultimate question that you have. If the Niners, I'm glad you brought up the the divisional round since I won't be able to, to preview it tomorrow. But yeah. you, you look at the Niners, they're a team that has a lot of success, right? When they get out to a lead. But what if they fall behind a touchdown? 10 points, 14 points. Is Brock pretty capable sure. of leading the back? Kyle Shanahan teams don't come back. They, they, they come out with big leads, but they don't come back in games. So that's the that's the intriguing matchup to me. And can Jordan Love continue to play the ad against the Cowboys? I think that's the week? big question for me is Jordan Love. I think the question is C.J. Stroud. Can he go into Baltimore and continue to play the way he did? I think he was helped immeasurably by having that game last week in the wild card round at home. And and I think he was able to feed off that. And kudos to him. I think Detroit, I, that game to me, I just don't see Tampa Bay matching up whatsoever with Detroit. I felt if Detroit was going to lose... Prior to the conference championship game, it was going to be to the Rams in yes. the wild card round. Um, I helped out the a little Rams bit. in that game, but I thought whoever won that was going to go pretty far. But they were helped out a little bit by Philly losing, but Philly had collapsed anyway at this mm-hmm. point of the season. But Green Bay is a dangerous seven just because of the way um, uh, that Jordan Love has played. And I don't think we can gloss over the fact that this is Patrick Mahomes' first ever true road game in the playoffs ever. Having to go to Buffalo. So the stat I was looking for, uh, the Niners 0-38 when trailing by seven or more in the fourth quarter under Kyle Shanahan. Woo! That is unbelievable. And that's why I'm not sold on San Francisco getting it done. Again, if they get off to a hot start, yeah, they're not losing. But if Mm. Green Bay starts fast and San Francisco finds themselves trailing late in the game, that's how you beat Kyle Shanahan teams. Yeah. Is you, you... you force them to have to play from behind late in a game. And that's where I think that matchup is curious. I, I expect the Bills and Josh Allen to finally get over the hump against the Chiefs since the Bills have the home playoff game here. Mahomes doesn't have that luxury of being at Arrowhead. And also, I think the Chiefs receivers have been bad all year. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. I think it catches up now. Uh, I like the Lions, obviously, against the Bucks. Houston-Baltimore is an interesting one because... 
as dominant as Baltimore was in the regular season, you look at it, and in terms of their division, not strong as far as throwing the football. Pittsburgh, Cleveland, not good passing teams. Um, Cincinnati the, struggled. The Bengals without Joe Burrow, obviously not not a great passing team. And the 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 thing that you kind of wonder with Baltimore and and as great as they were, I mean they had that loss to the Colts at home. Um, they lost to the Browns at home in a tight one. They lost to the Steelers at home. Granted, no one was playing. You, you don't really hold that one against them. And they lost that, so they were swept by Pittsburgh. But it's just like a passing attack. What can an elite passing attack do? And we we saw the the Ravens dominate the Dolphins in what we thought was the, the big test there. But what will change? C.J. Stroud is playing at a much higher level than Tua was at the end of the year. Now he is, and I think you know a. a I think the question when you look at San Francisco is that stat. Brock Purdy, we talk about winning games in the fourth quarter when you're behind. And Brock Purdy hasn't done it. Kyle Shanahan hasn't done it in San Francisco. So I think that's going to be a, a referendum at some point with San Francisco in these playoffs, whether it's this weekend, whether it's the NFC Championship game, if they get to the Super Bowl, is if this team is behind in the fourth quarter by a touchdown or more, is Brock Purdy good enough to bring them back? They're really good at getting ahead of teams, like you mentioned, but can they come back at the end of a game and have a true game-winning drive, a go-ahead drive that really vaults them into a a status that they haven't been able to reach under Kyle Shanahan or Brock Purdy, for that matter, in terms of proving that they can win games in the clutch while losing. So I think a lot of eyes are going to be there on Sunday night. Of course, the NFL makes that game the last game of the weekend, Kansas City and Buffalo. As they Some should. Of, yes, yeah, and, and understood, too, with Buffalo having to play on Monday for sure, is uh, both of those teams that had to play Monday uh, shouldn't have to play on Saturday, uh, which, is, which is what was done. So I think it's going to be a very entertaining weekend. We only had one game that was even close last week. Let's hope this week is a little bit different in the divisional round. Matchups on paper, a lot more interesting. Yes, I think we expect the, the Lions to handle the Bucks, but the Lions also have to prove it, right? You, you won one playoff game. Congrats. Uh, you, you can't let up. And for Baltimore, yes, they're a clear favorite over Houston, but what C.J. Stroud is doing is incredible. And you just wonder, will Lamar Jackson and the Ravens put up another stinker in the playoffs? Because that's what they tend to do. It's how they roll uh, of late, and uh, we'll see if uh, what happens. These teams played way back in week one, and CJ Stroud, obviously a different quarterback than week one, but Baltimore, in terms of the one seeds, who do you think is more vulnerable? Is it Baltimore or is it San Francisco? San Francisco, (laughs) because I think Green Bay is a, a much more complete team than Houston. I would agree. I would say so. So for this week, I say, yes, San Francisco is the more vulnerable one seed. Coming up on the other side, an NBA player missed work due to an interesting reason. Uh, We'll take a look at uh, that. And also, world's oldest dog title. Now under review, and a passenger was trapped in an airplane in this area for an entire flight. That's all to come as we wrap it up here on a Thursday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up for the day here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 
So Portland Trailblazer center DeAndre Ayton missed his return to the lineup last night after missing 11 games with right knee tendonitis against the Nets due to a snow and ice storm. Uh, They tried for hours to get past a sheet of ice out of his neighborhood. No avail. The team even sent people out to help him. No luck there. My guess would be they couldn't even make it. (laughs) How intimidating is this sheet of ice that he couldn't get past? But Yeah, clearly pretty bad. So is is that the first ever DNP stuck in neighborhood due to ice storm? I would say NBA history probably. You've seen it more. Seen everything, (laughs) right? Yeah. Uh, So that's the first story. The second story: the world's oldest dog title under review. Uh oh. Guinness World Records reviewing that title after a Portuguese dog, Bobby, uh, was reportedly. 30 years old when he was recognized as the oldest living dog died in October after celebrating his 31st birthday. But the records are in question. Hmm. The dog's age had been confirmed through a 92 registration um, with the Portuguese pet database, but veterinarians were skeptical. And one of them said, not a single one of my veterinary colleagues believe Bobby was actually 31 years old. Also, uh, a, a coordinator of that registry. Uh, Bobby was registered on July 3rd, 2022. The dog's owner declared he had been born in 92. Uh-huh. They can't confirm or deny the dog's age. So that's like, uh, it's a sham. It's a sham. <laughs> that's like the episode of King of Queens where, uh, Doug is, is still thinks his parents have the same dog that he grew up with Rocky. And like, they're watching home movies of the seventies and the, the, he's like, Oh, there you are Rocky. And it's like 30 some years. <laughs> yeah. And his wife finally figures it out and has to tell him. And it's like, it's the, it's like Rocky three that they have a Rocky four as opposed to Rocky the original. <laughs> it's like that's the thing is like you can't really ask a dog how old it is. You can't check its rings like you can a, a tree. Yeah, you're just going by documentation or fake documentation in this in this sense. And then final story: a passenger was trapped in an airplane bathroom for the entire flight. Got a note from the attendant that said, "Sir, we tried our best. This was <laughs> it's like slipped it under the. This was on SpiceJet." Uh, the passenger was stuck inside the lavatory for about an hour. He used the, the lavatory shortly after takeoff, one hour, 45 minute night flight from Mumbai to Bengaluru. Uh-huh. Sure. And that's in India. Uh, but got stuck. The door wouldn't open due to a lock malfunction. Trapped inside the whole time. Uh, that's better than sit and pee like we had yesterday yeah. on yeah. a flight. The, the, the crew and other passengers desperately tried to free the flyer. <laughs> No it, luck. At least it wasn't like a transatlantic flight or something. True. Uh, even slipped him a note uh, under the door to, 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 to be like, we're trying. It's not working. We're sorry. Finally got him out. Uh, they got him out upon landing. At least if he had to go again, he was Yeah, he was the already bathroom. there. Um, he got immediate medical support. Uh, airline issued a full reimbursement. Oh, that's Spice nice. Jet apologized. All right, well, that's it for today's yeah. Tales of Flight. We'll see if yeah. maybe we have one from you after the weekend. Yeah, I sure hope not. Uh, for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Batch. I'm out tomorrow. Derek Decker in for me tomorrow. Also in for me on Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday on the show. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.